0: Jesus, your Lord, prays before the Father for your personal holiness. He does collectively for all of us as his people that we will be progressively holy. But here's the really encouraging part to me. He prays for us individually by name.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is hope and assurance of victory over sin and temptation possible in this life? Did Christ not only die for sin, but for your guilt as well? Is there a purpose in the fact that Christ has not yet returned, even though He has forgiven and brought reconciliation to His children? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 14 of his current series titled, Lord Teach Us to Pray. We're looking at the way Jesus taught his followers to pray, as found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Today, Tom will unpack six practical steps for dealing with outward temptation and inner sin. You'll be reminded that there is a power, not your own a power that can lead to faithful obedience to God and his word. The question remains, are you seeking to be obedient, confessing sin and growing in righteousness? Let's join our teacher now for more on The Word Unleashed.
0: 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 26. Abigail says to David, The Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Abigail says, Listen, David, you were angry because of Nabal, the fool, and you were tempted to take his life, which would have been sin for you, but God restrained you from carrying out that temptation. God does the same thing with us at times. There's a third relationship God has to temptation, and that is. He strengthens us to endure temptation without sinning. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, a familiar verse. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. That doesn't mean the person sitting next to you has exactly the same temptations you have, but it means when you look at humanity, there are no unique temptations. There are people all around this planet who struggle with the exact same temptations you do. You are not alone. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, what is the way to escape? It's not a unique way with every temptation. There's only one way he's talking about here, and that is he will strengthen you so that the way of escape is through the temptation without giving in you will endure it without sinning. God can equip you and enable you to do that. There's a fourth relationship God has to temptation, and that is God ultimately uses all temptation for our good, even when we have given in to temptation and sinned. Romans eight twenty eight. God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You say, wait a minute, how can God use the temptation in my life? And even when I give in to that temptation and sin, how can God use that for good? I love the Puritans. They talk about this a lot and they say, one way is to show you your sin. We need to understand how sinful we are. And when God withholds his restraining influences, he allows temptation. He allows us to give in. We see ourselves. That's what happened with some of these biblical examples. God allowed temptation into David's life to show him his pride. God allowed temptation into Job's life to show him his self-righteousness so that at the end of the book, he says, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I thought I knew God. I thought I had an argument against God, but he's God and I'm not. God uses temptation as he did in the life of Peter to show us our self-confidence and our need to depend on God instead. Peter says, they may all forsake you, Lord, but not me. Peter needed to see himself and his need. That brings me to to another way that God uses temptation for good in our lives, not only to show us ourselves, but also to show us our need of God and our need of grace. A.W. Pink writes, God often permits Satan to assault and harass us in order to humble us, to drive us to himself, and to glorify himself by manifesting more fully to us his preserving power. God wants you to see yourself, and he also wants you to see how desperately you need him. And he uses temptation to that end. So with that brief understanding of God's relationship to temptation, let's go back now to Matthew 6. And let's ask this question. In light of that, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what exactly are we praying? What are we asking God to do? Several things. First of all, we're asking him to keep us by his providence from being tempted to sin. God, don't let me be tempted. Turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 and verse 37, of course. This is in Gethsemane. Jesus has been praying. He comes back. He finds the three, Peter, James, and John, sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And then he says this. Mark this verse, star this verse. This is Jesus' prescription for how to deal with temptation. He says, keep watching, keep on the alert, and keep praying that you may not come into temptation. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus was doing as he was facing the temptation in the garden. And he says this, and this wasn't true of him, it's true of us. Verse 38, the spirit is willing, that is that new redeemed person that you are is willing, it wants to do the right thing. But the flesh, the fallen part of you is weak. And so you better keep watching and you better keep praying. I wish there were time for me to really work through this. In fact, I would encourage you, go back and go online or get a CD and listen to the message that I did on this. I think it's called Gethsemane Part 2 because the first part, I dealt with Jesus' temptation. The second part, Gethsemane Part 2, I dealt with how to pray in the midst of temptation. Jesus is a great model in his prayer in this passage for how we ought to pray in the midst of temptation. So go back and, and catch up with that. But essentially... Jesus is saying to the disciples here and to us in the Lord's prayer, ask God to preserve and protect you from temptation that will cause you to fall. In other words, ask God to overrule the influence of the world system in your life. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's what you're praying. God, protect me from the world system Satan's created. Don't let it tempt me. You're asking God to subdue your flesh. Psalm 119 verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. God, don't let my sin rule me. Don't let my flesh create cause for sin. You're also asking God to restrain the devil. To restrain Satan, 1 John chapter 5 verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God, no Christian, habitually, without repentance, keeps on sinning. But he who was born of God, capital H, speaking of Christ, Christ who was born of God keeps the believer and the evil one does not touch him. Restrain Satan in my life, Lord. Restrain my flesh. Restrain the influence of the world system and keep me from temptation. This is a recognition of our desperate need of God and his intervention. John Calvin writes, we conclude from this petition that we have no strength for living a holy life except so far as we obtain it from God. Whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God deliver him, he will be constantly falling. I think this is the main point of what our Lord's teaching us to pray in the first half of this petition. But I think there is also implied in this petition a couple of other parts. I think we are also praying when we say, lead us not into temptation, that if in fact we are tempted... We're asking God to enable us by the work of His Spirit to stand against that temptation and not to choose to sin. 2 Peter 2 9, the Lord knows how to rescue, how to snatch the godly from temptation. There's a third part of this prayer, I think, that's implied, and that is if we are tempted and if we do give in to that temptation and sin, we're asking God to keep us from being overcome by that sin and to enable us to quickly repent, and that he will in the end use that even for our spiritual good. It's David's prayer in Psalm 51 when he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit, a spirit that longs to follow you and obey you and to do what's right. So that's the negative side of the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. Lord, providentially preserve, protect, and keep me from any temptation that will cause me to fall into sin. But if I do fall into sin, protect me from being captured by that sin, being mastered by that sin, from being destroyed by that sin. Now there's another side to this prayer, and it's the positive side. We've seen the negative side. Let's look at the positive side Jesus teaches us here to pray for personal holiness, not merely protection from sin, but for personal holiness. Notice again Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Greek word translated but is much stronger than our English word. It it could be translated lead us not into temptation but rather, on the other hand, deliver us from evil. Now what does Jesus mean by evil? The Greek construction could legitimately mean two different things. It could mean evil in a general sense, as it's translated here, deliver us from evil. In this context, this would mean, Lord, deliver me from the temptations that come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Deliver me from the sin that results from giving into those temptations. Deliver me from evil in a general sense. The Greek could also mean not evil in a general sense, but specifically, the evil one. Deliver me from Satan. Now, you'll notice that the footnote on in your Bible on verse 13 puts that in the margin. You have one or both in the margin, and the translators do this so that you can have confidence in the Scriptures, because between one of those expressions, you have the Scripture, and so you can know what the Bible's actually saying. So which is it likely here? Well, there are a number of arguments I'm not going to get into. I lean toward it being the evil one, the evil one. But I will say this, Calvin was right. It, in the end, doesn't really matter because all evil finds its source in Satan. So in the end, it's a prayer for the same thing, whichever it is. Look at the word deliver. That word means to rescue or to preserve from danger. Rescue me, God. Preserve me from the evil one. Now, as we did with the first half of this petition, the negative side, let's ask ourselves with this positive side what it means to pray, deliver us, from evil. It really means two things. First of all, it means to ask God to deliver us gradually right now from all of our spiritual enemies, from Satan and all that he brings. In other words, it is a prayer for sanctification. It is a prayer that in a gradual, ongoing way, God would deliver your soul from all of the evil influences and give you increasing holiness. It's what our Lord prayed in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Make them progressively more and more holy. That's what we're praying. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Loosen his hold and influence in my life and make me increasingly holy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely in all parts of your being. May God be at work making you holy, setting you apart unto holiness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 3, the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Right here, right now. But there's a second part of this prayer. Not only is it a prayer for sanctification, but it's a prayer that asks God to deliver us entirely in the future from all of our spiritual enemies. In other words, it's a prayer for glorification, glorification. Not only do I want to gradually grow more and more holy right now, but God someday deliver me completely and entirely even from the, not the power of sin, but even the presence of sin. This is the second half of First Thessalonians 5 verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That's sanctification. That's right now. But then Paul goes on to say, and may your spirit and soul and body, your entire being, be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's glorification. That's God. Someday deliver me completely and entirely from everything that smacks of sin. Listen, if you pray this prayer, this sixth prayer, petition from your heart. It means that you not only want to be protected from temptation and evil, but it means that you want God to do whatever it takes in your life to make you more holy. D.A. Carson writes, this is how we could paraphrase it, lead us not into temptation, but away from it into righteousness. God may you providentially direct my life and my circumstances not only so that I see a decreasing pattern of sin and temptation, but may I see an increasing pattern of holiness as well. Don't just keep me from sin, make me holy. At its core, this is a prayer that God will produce in us Christ-likeness. That's what you're really praying You're saying, God, progressively now and entirely in the future, I want you to make me like your son. Now, when you see this request, when you hear that, what hope do you really have and do I really have of truly being victorious over sin and temptation in our lives? And the answer is, in and of ourselves, no hope. No hope. But our hope is in Christ. What does he say in John 15, 5? Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Do you understand that your victory over temptation comes in Christ? He showed us how to be victorious over temptation. Hebrews 4, 15. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in all things as we are. In every category of sin you're tempted, Jesus was tempted, yet without Sin. He understands how to be victorious over temptation. And he died to free you from the power of sin in your life. You understand that he didn't just die to deal with your guilt. He he died to deal with the power of sin in your life. Read Revelation 1.5. He loosed us from our sins in his own blood. He died to loose you from the power of sin in your life. And when you're in the middle of temptation, he helps you. Listen to Hebrews 4 verse 16. Since he's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. What's the time of our need? Time of temptation when he's able to help. Here's really an encouraging point. He prays for your personal holiness Jesus, your Lord, prays before the Father for your personal holiness. He does collectively for all of us as his people. John 17, verse 15, he says, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays for all of us collectively that we will be progressively holy. But here's the really encouraging part to me. He prays for us individually by name. So what's the basis for that? The Basis is what he did for Peter in Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. He wants to bring temptation into your life that will destroy you. Listen to Jesus. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Just as he prayed for Peter, by name, individually, he prays and intercedes for you before the Father when you face temptation. You have great hope that temptation can be defeated in your life because Jesus has gone ahead of you. So what are some of the practical steps that we can take in light of this sixth and final petition? Let me give you some thoughts. I want you to jot these down. Think about them. You can fill them out on your own this week. Here's some things that you and I need to do. First of all, ask God to develop in your heart a hatred of sin, a desire for holiness, and a spirit of dependence. A hatred for sin. You understand that the first step toward sanctification is hating sin, and you can't do that on your own. You can't make yourself hate sin. So ask God to develop a hatred of sin in your heart and a desire for holiness and a spirit of dependence that realizes you can't do this on your own. Secondly, ask God, in keeping with what we've just studied, ask God to preserve you from any temptation that would cause you to fall into sin. And on the other side of that, ask God to rescue you when you do choose to sin and you do disobey. Number three, ask God to direct your circumstances toward personal holiness. Ask God to make you holy. Ask God to produce in you the likeness of His Son. Ask God to give you the fruit of the Spirit. Number four, identify and avoid all the circumstances that tempt you to sin. Identify and avoid the circumstances that tempt you to sin. You see, while we're to pray, in the midst of temptation, we also are responsible to act. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, we must put our sin to death. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, we must make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Second Timothy 2.22 says, run from youthful lusts. A.W. Pink says, what we pray for, we must endeavor to practice. We mock God. If we ask him to deliver us from evil and then trifle with sin or recklessly rush into the place of temptation. Listen, don't you dare pray this petition and then continue to have your circumstances such that it's something you fall into easily. Because you have arranged your circumstances in a way that makes sin easy. Arrange your life and circumstances in a way that makes sin hard. Number five, study and meditate on God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 11, Your Word I have treasured in my heart. It's not just memorizing, although it's partly memorizing. It's treasuring. It's memorizing and studying and meditating on and applying. Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. We see this in our Lord's example. This is how He responded to temptation, by quoting the Scripture. I want you to turn with me as we close our time to Jude Jude closes his letter, our Lord's half-brother closes his letter with these wonderful words. Let these words be your confidence as you face temptation in your own life. Jude 24, now to him, that is God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's talking about this life, that's talking about sanctification now, God is able to keep you from stumbling into sin. And He is able to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. That's glorification. That's the future. God is able to do both of these things. Verse 25, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Don't lose your confidence in God. And when you find yourself every day praying, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together.
1: It's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 14 of his current series, Lord Teach Us to Pray. Join us next time for part 15 as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. Well, Tom, it's encouraging, isn't it, to rest in the promise that for everyone in Christ, they too will one day become just like Him in righteousness. Isn't that so?
0: That is our great hope. You know, I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 8 when he says that when God set his love upon us in eternity past, he decided that our destiny would be the same. He predestined us. That is, he predetermined our destiny. And that is that all who came to know his son would one day be like his son. And Philippians 1.6 says, the God who began that work is carrying on that work And He will be faithful to complete it. We will make it. And He will, as Jude puts it so beautifully, present us faultless before His presence with exceeding joy.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org.